0: sleep-in service. Let's try that again. Good morning, sleep-in service. That's better. That's what I'm talking about. Good to see you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Glad that you had an opportunity to come back this week. Only the holiest of God's holy people show up the week after Easter, right? That's how it works. So the fact you guys came back this weekend uh, says a lot about you. I'll tell you what, I have never seen a response like last week at the 1115 service. I mean, we, I, I walked backstage and every room on this first floor behind that wall was full of people talking about Jesus. And the reason that happened is because some of you had the courage to actually bring and include your friends. Then I just want to say thank you so much for being a part of our mission. I mean, I think we can all agree that God showed up at Christ the King on Easter. Amen. I mean, and lives were changed, and we're thankful for every one of them. We've been doing a series called The Last. We started a couple weeks ago where Jesus identified himself as the first and the last, and we gathered together on Friday for the last supper, and we grieved as a church because the Bible tells us at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus breathed his last, and it appeared that on that Good Friday that sin and death and the devil had the last word, but unfortunately, on Good Friday, here's what happened. Heaven just started counting to three. That's how it worked. And then on Easter Sunday morning, God actually proclaimed the last word, which was not, he is dead, but instead, he is risen. And this week, we're going to, or his risen. And then this week, we're going to look at just beyond the resurrection of Jesus and talk about the last words that Jesus actually spoke before he left here and went to heaven. So this past week, I'm just kind of, you know, Googling stuff on the internet, checking stuff out, and I Googled famous last words. Because what somebody says with their dying breath It's usually a pretty big deal, right? And I found a whole bunch of famous people that said famous things as they were dying. But one little article caught my attention. And it said, these were famous last words spoken by people who didn't know those were going to be their last words. Let me give you an example. Like, no, 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 honey. I'm sure these windows were designed for us to lean on. (laughs) Think about it. All right. Or, no, don't worry. It has airbags. Or, hey, look, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Right? Think about it. Okay. Or, no, I'm sure I can pass this guy. Or, no, my brakes are fine. Here's a personal favorite. Nice doggy. Right? Think about it. All right. (laughs) I love this one. No, I don't think we need to go to the hospital. I'm feeling a little better now. Or here is another one. Pull the pin and count to what? You guys are way quicker than the 930. These were like missing them going all over the place. Right? (laughs) How about this one, right? I'll hold it and you light the fuse. Famous last words, right? Why would I want to wear a safety harness? There's famous ones, all right? I love this one. No, 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 I'm sure these berries are safe. I've been watching birds eat them all day long, all right? I love this. No, silly, that's a dolphin fin. <laughs> and my personal favorite, oops. Okay, I like that, okay. So apparently these are a reflection of unplanned last words. But let me ask you a serious question. If you had one opportunity in the last day of your life to speak to the people that you love the most, what would you say? What would actually come out of you in those moments? You know, the famous last words of Jesus carry a lot of weight because it was the last words he spoke before he left. And if you've never heard them before, I want you to hear the last words of Jesus. But let me give you some context, okay? He's been crucified. He rose again. He spent time here on the earth. He was seen by his disciples and more than 500 other witnesses. That's what scripture tells us. And then Jesus speaks to them. Now, he's still speaking today. In fact, we may have an opportunity to hear him if we really tune our ears in. But just before Jesus goes back to heaven, the Bible says this is what happens in Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Some of you are like, time out. I thought thought there was 12. There's one less, because Judas betrayed Jesus and then takes his own life. That's what Scripture tells us. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Can you imagine? After everything they had seen, everything that they had experienced, all of the miracles that Jesus did, and still some of them are like, I don't know. I just don't know. Is it really real? Is he really back from the dead? You know what I love about that is it's so encouraging because Scripture also says this. It says, these people saw and they were blessed because of seeing. Scripture also said, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still believe. So for those of us that believe, God says it's an unbelievable blessing And doubt is natural and commonplace. I welcome you to a place where it's okay to ask really, really hard questions. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you. Underline those words in your outline. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay. Do me a favor. Don't make an assumption that this is just going to be another great commission sermon where I beat you over the head and say, you should go and make disciples. We're not going there today. Okay. Stick with me. But according to these words, these are some very, very important pieces that Jesus wants us to have. The first one is this. Jesus had the authority to lay his life down and to pick it back up again. Okay. I want you to understand this about Easter. Nobody took the life of Jesus from him. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down because of his great love for us. He took it back up again. When God the Father whispered in his ear the same thing he whispered to hundreds of you last weekend, wake up, live. And that same power that walked Jesus through the cross and death and resurrection is available just as much as it was last weekend. It's available this weekend as well. And we're gonna need it because apparently there's work to do, right? Jesus said this, therefore go. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Let me just break that down, okay? Those words, therefore go, would be better translated this way. Hey, while you're going, while you're out doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, while you're just doing your life, make disciples call people into a relationship with Jesus Christ just as you're out there make disciples baptize and teach now some of you just came into a relationship with Jesus and you're just like are you kidding me I I just figured out some of these pieces and now I got a job description really that's kind of crazy i mean some of you just like i didn't a week ago i didn't even know god had a kid all right that's okay we're adding these pieces as we're going along. Some of us just discovered that God wrote a love letter called the Bible, that heaven is real. And you're looking at this going, okay, like I'm supposed to make what and bapt what? Just relax, okay? Take a deep breath. If you just came to Jesus, your next step should be to go public with that decision. And we would love to cheer for you when you do that. Next weekend, there are baptism classes. Don't be intimidated by the word class. It's just an opportunity for us to get to know you, you to get to know us. And then we would love to have a, a public moment when you go public with the fact, you know, Jesus is not ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of him. So I, I, I'll be, well, I don't care what they do to me. As long as I have an opportunity to testify what God has done. Making disciples and teaching, that will come okay? There will be opportunity for that down the road as you're going. But for right now, someone asked me last week, Grant, what do I do with my friend who just came back, who just came to Jesus? Here was my answer. Bring them back. Just bring them back. And another person asked me, I just became a believer. What should I do to keep moving in this direction? My simple answer, keep showing up. Stay inside of the relationships that God is placing around you. Now, for the veterans in the room, this verse means exactly what you think it means. Get out of the bleachers, get down on the field, come and actually do this along with us. Don't be a bystander. Engage in what God has called you to do. It's called the Great Commission for a reason. Now, when most people read the Great Commission, they just kind of stop right there. Okay, make disciples baptized. Oh my goodness, there's a lot. I just want to focus in on that last beautiful little phrase. The last little section I want to remind you is said before Jesus leaves. Okay? He's going away. I'm sure that freaked out the followers of Jesus just a little. I mean, after everything they had been through in the weeks previous, Jesus dies. I mean, you've got the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then he dies. And in the last... I mean, it's just all of this stuff together. And then he shows up and says, by the way, uh, I'm out. Going away. Now, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. Another one is coming. He's going to comfort you, walk alongside of you, give you wisdom each and every day. But, But I'm leaving can you imagine Peter's response to that? No, 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 no. You just came back to life again. I mean, come on, stick around, Jesus. Hang out for a while. Let's do a few more miracles. Have a little fun. Overthrow the Roman Empire, right? I mean, let's just, let's just do, do that walk on water thing again. That was fun. Let's actually do that. And Jesus says, no, I, I actually, I have to go. But before he goes, this is what he says. I am always I am with you even to the end of the age. I mean, just the sound of that brings me comfort. I'm not alone. Why? Because he's with me. You know why I have confidence today? It's not because I worked hard on the message. It's because, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is right here. And he's right there. Alongside of each and every one of us. Now, I know for a fact, some of you here, you're like, you're a veteran. You've been doing this for years, and you're like, really, Grant? I came back the week after Easter, which tends to be like the lowest attended weekend in church history, right? I came back the week after, and all you've got for me is Jesus is with me? That's it? That's it? Veteran, can I ask you a question? If you are absolutely convinced today that the God of the universe is with you, how would I know that? I mean, you're convinced he is with me. Where where is the the gigantic, audacious step of faith that doesn't make sense in a worldly way that you would take for the sole reason that you actually believe that God is with you? Where, Where are the fearless aspects of your faith? Where's the radical confidence that shows itself in missional relationships? I mean, you say, absolutely, God is with me. I would ask, where's the proof? I think we all have something to learn from this reminder that God is with us because that's what he says, famous last words. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, if Jesus is here, what does that mean? Let's make this practical, okay? If Jesus is here, it means Jesus is with us in the new beginnings of a new life. Some of you started a brand new relationship with Christ last weekend. I'll tell you, it's the best decision you could ever make. And I'm so proud of your courage. I mean, think about it. Is there any other social environment you can think of where a stranger stands in front of you and talks on a microphone for 27 minutes, then calls you out of your seat to come forward publicly, go to a different room, talk to a stranger and pray to a God that you're not, that you just figured out existed. That takes unbelievable courage. I was just so moved by the fact that so many of you have so much courage. And in doing that, you took a step of faith. When you stepped out into the aisle, that is a huge step of faith. Coming back this week, it's a step of faith. Getting baptized, it's a step of faith. Coming to Alpha, that's a step of faith. Praying for the first time and actually believing God hears you, that's a step of faith. And just let me plead with you, don't ever underestimate those small little steps of faith. They may look insignificant to other people, they're not. There's a guy in the Bible who was given a huge building project by God, okay? God said, I want you to put a temple back together again because it's been like blown in a thousand different pieces. That was his job, put the temple together. God called a guy named Zerubbabel, okay? Don't name your kid that just to be biblical, okay? (laughs) Middle school will not go well for them at all if you call them that, okay? But this guy named Zerubbabel shows up and God says, I want you to put this thing back together again. And you can imagine, he had to start somewhere, right? probably moving a rock here, cleaning the site here. I mean, trying to put the pieces together. He takes this tiny little step. In fact, all he does one day is he shows up with a plumb line. We don't usually use those very much in construction anymore. But he starts, someone goes, well, we want it to be square and plumb, right? We want the walls to be straight. So I'm gonna start with a string with a weight on the end of it. We're gonna start right here. It looks so small, so insignificant. But this is what the God of the universe said about that moment. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. When it comes to your life, don't ever look down on one small, simple, what you seem to be insignificant step of faith. Start the work. Go slow. Take your time. You can't undo a life of bad decisions overnight. It just doesn't work that way. Be faithful in the small things. Keep showing up. Take a small step of faith. Why would you do that? Because he's with you. Because he promised that he would be with you. So he's with us in the new beginnings of a new life. Secondly, Jesus is with us in the details. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, right? The devil's in the details, right? That should freak you out if you have OCD like I do, all right? The devil's in the details, but that's not true. In fact, the Bible over and over again says, no, no, no. The God of the universe is intimately and intricately working through the details of your life that nothing outside of his purview will ever happen to you. I mean, whatever shocked you this past week, can I tell you something? Didn't shock God. He knew it was going to be there. And he's not distant. He's not away from you trying, just observing to see how you're going to handle it. I mean, back, I think it was the 80s. I don't even know. Bette Midler recorded a song, God is watching us from a distance. That's a terrible song, right? That's horrible theology. God's not watching from a distance. He's right there in that moment, intricately in the middle of all the details. Listen to Jesus talking about the details, Matthew chapter 10 are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. For some of the guys in this room, that is not counting very high. I'm just saying, okay? And some of you are just like, why would that matter to God? Because you're His. Because he's paying attention to even that kind of detail. I mean, let's face it. We don't even care that much. Anybody else spent any time this past week counting how many hairs you got on the top of your head? Like most of us are like, two legs, two arms, one head. I'm good, right? Right? I'm in good shape. Why would God care about that insignificant little piece? Because it's attached to you. Listen to the end of that chapter. Don't be afraid. You are worth so much more than many sparrows. God is in the details. Let me tell you an amazing story from this past week. I heard it from Kramer Payne, our hospitality director. So Kramer's in charge of hospitality. You see him on the commons. He's always welcoming people. He looks after ushers and greeters and so much more. A part of Kramer's job is to make sure that if you came on Good Friday, that you were actually gonna have communion, that we'd have enough supplies for communion. And Kramer's a smart guy. So he went back historically over the last couple of years Counted up how many people actually came on a Good Friday and then calculated the amount of grape juice and bread we were going to need for communion on Good Friday. Historically, he looked back somewhere between 900 and 1,000 people. Okay? So he calculated how much communion we were going to need based on that number. Here was the problem. Twice as many of you showed up as normally do. Packed out this room, filled the overflow. I mean, we had almost 1,800 people on a Good Friday. Kramer calculated for 900s. He's walking in this back hallway, back and forth, going, I'm going to get fired. Grant's going to fire me. I mean, if you come for communion and there's nothing to commune with, it's not good for anybody, right? Kramer's in the back row. He told this story to us on Monday, and he's praying, okay, God, I know you can multiply stuff, right? Because you did this once before. I read it in the Bible, right? Right? You know, 5,000 people showed up and you like, I don't even need the fish part of the equation. I just need bread and grape juice. That's all I need, right? I need you to multiply this stuff out because this is not going to go well. And so we're serving communion, right? Brian and Katie and I are serving in the middle. You guys are serving each other all over the room. In the, in the overflow, it's going down. And Kramer's in the hallway thinking somebody's going to come out and go, we run out of stuff. There's no options, right? You know, make a trip to McDonald's. That's as good as it's going to get, right? Here's your fry, right? It's, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's just not going to work. And he's waiting. It's like, ah, ah. And communion's just like, whew, all taken care of, all good. Kramer has a, a group of people that stayed and cleaned up. He's got a team, right? So he collects back all the bread. He collects back all of the grape juice. I will give you, uh, Bible trivia people, I will give you one guess how many baskets were left over when Kramer was done putting all the stuff back on the cart. Go ahead, pick a number. 12! 12! Hey. Don't don't over spiritualize it. Just go, okay, God is in the details. I told that story to Jason Hubbard on Thursday. He like exploded all over my office, right? He's just like, no way. Woo! In the details. What does that mean? He's with you in the layoff, with you in the negative check balance, with you in the custody battle. He's with you. Because your business is so blessed right now, you can't even find enough workers to get the jobs done. He knows about your breaks, and he knows that your kid has a fever of 102.1. He's with you. With you, all through the Bible. He keeps saying the same thing. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In Romans, he says, in all things, all things, God works for the good, and be careful here, of those who love him, okay, that's important, who've been called according to his purpose. For those who love God, I mean, we know this, right? Even the tragedy of our life can be used for good. Psalm Psalm 23, famous verse, David says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, I love that. I have confidence today because my God is with me and he's carrying a big stick and it's not to beat me over the head when I get it wrong. It's to protect me so that I can make a decision to choose right. It's what God says over and over again. Let's keep going. How else is he with us? The Bible says Jesus is with us in the pain of everyday life. Because the reality is, and anybody else figured this out? Sometimes life hurts. But that's not rocket science, right? A famous writer once said this, God whispers in the good but he shouts in the pain. The reality is sometimes life hurts because somebody does something to us. Sometimes life hurts because we do stuff to ourselves and there are consequences. But in both scenarios, God is with us. I mean, I'm sure you've had moments this past week when you were angry. There are times when God is with you in your righteous anger because it's directed towards an injustice. There are other times when you are angry for no good reason and God is there to say, really? That's how you want to show your family you love them by just irresponsible anger flying all over the room? He's there in both scenarios. When there's hope and when you're hopeless. When you're buying the lie and, loving, and numbing the pain, He's there. When you're living life to the full, even when you're experiencing temptation. Jesus keeps saying, I'm with you, I'm with you. You don't need to succumb to that temptation. Listen to this, Uh, Hebrews chapter four, the Bible says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, that's where this comes from, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. So we're professing today, we believe God is with us. And sometimes we just need to be reminded to hold on to that. The Bible goes on, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, yet we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, don't miss the last part of the verse, yet he did not sin. That makes him different, doesn't it? He didn't sin. You know, in the pain of life, let's be honest, the temptation to make God a really convenient enemy, that's real, right? I've heard myself say this before. God did this to me. God could have stopped it. God didn't answer. He didn't do his job. I prayed and asked God to show up and he wasn't there for me. Are you sure he was not there? Could it possibly be that you were so wrapped up in what was good for you and best for you and what you wanted? Could it be that he was actually there all the time? You were just choosing not to see him or to even ignore him. Could it be? I've got a friend uh, who's battled drugs his whole life. Last weekend, he made a big decision. Step out, step forward, big act of faith. I saw him last night. He's been clean for six days. It's a big deal. Big deal. He sent me a little tiny journal entry this past week. He said, every time I went to numb my pain, Jesus offered his vein and I slapped his hand away. In my anger, I denied his presence but he held me anyway. Awesome. I denied his presence, but he held me anyway. We can say God wasn't with me in that moment, but I'll tell you something. It's awfully hard to sometimes discern his presence when he's holding you in the palm of his hand. Let's keep going. That's the hopeless part of it. Let's, Let's turn the hope on just a little bit, right? The Bible says he's with us, and it means this Jesus is with us in the hope of everyday life. I mean, listen to the end of the same passage from Hebrews, Hebrews 4 16. So, I read you the power about Jesus being tempted in every way, yet he wasn't without sin. And then this verse ends this way It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I mean, what an invitation. God says, because I'm with you, you can come into the throne room of my father and not get torched or turned into a small pile of ash, right? Because we are imperfect. God is perfect. And those two things have a hard time getting along sometimes. And, but the Bible actually tells us the reason you can come into the throne room of grace and mercy is because Jesus goes before you. And when his father, perfect God in heaven, looks at his son Jesus, everything that he did for you wraps itself around you. And Jesus says, God, he doesn't deserve to come into the throne room, but he gets to because he's with me. And my robe of righteousness is his robe of righteousness. Everything I did has been given to him as a gift. He is fully and wholly acceptable because he's your adopted son. It's a beautiful invitation. God says, you can show up. Come as you are. You don't need to shower yourself up and get all cleaned up and pretty. You don't need to put on your Sunday bed. You can just come because you're mine. You know, I was challenged. This actually happens quite often around here. People will show up and they're just like, I don't understand why everybody's so casual around here. Like, what's the deal with that? Like, you guys, don't you have a dress code? It's church, right? I'm like, just so you know, there's no dress code at CTK, right? You know, I don't care. T-shirts, shorts, flip-flops. It doesn't make any difference. In fact, if you're wearing a tie, we'll know you're new. That's how that kind of works, all right? So (laughs) just like, that's awesome. Thank you for coming. But I, I got challenged about this. Like, how can you guys be so relaxed? How can you be, like, this is just so, so mellow about this whole thing. That one person asked me a question once. They said, Grant, like, you're up there preaching, right? Is this how you would dress if you were going to see the president of the United States? And my answer was not original to me, but this is what I said. I would dress exactly this way if he was my dad. Think about it. If that's my papa in there, I'll show up any way I want to. You know why? Because he's just going to be happy to see his kid. I mean, Ernest Gordon Fishbook is showing up in Washington State. That's my father. In case you're wondering, okay. He's showing up in Washington State. He doesn't care how I show myself. Now, he wants me to wear clothes. Okay, let's be clear on that, okay. But (laughs) he doesn't care how I show. He just wants me to meet him in the driveway. Hey, dad. Hey, son. Come here. That's the confidence. Why do we get that invitation? It's not based on anything we've done. It's because we got an invitation. My Father in heaven wants us to come with confidence. And I can come with confidence because of his presence, because he said he's with me. And I know what I'm going to get when I go there. The Bible tells me, mercy, grace, and help in my time of need. What does it mean? God says, I am with you always. What does it mean? It means till the very last breath you draw on this earth. He's with you. And the last breath you take here as a follower of Jesus is the first breath you take in heaven, because He's with you. Till the last ounce of your independence has finally been surrendered on, uh, 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 surrendered and laid in front of Jesus. He says he's with you till the last lie that you've ever believed is uncovered with the truth of Jesus till the last and final word is said. And if you haven't got it already, I'll remind you. This is what he said. I'm with you always. Always. Whether you acknowledge me or ignore me, I am with you always. I read my Bible and I'm always amazed by this. What gives a small insignificant Jewish shepherd boy, the courage to go up against a nine-foot giant that nobody else wanted to mess with, with a slingshot. One thing. The Bible tells me that David knew that God was with him. Pretty big step of faith, right? What would sustain a man who was unjustly imprisoned for 11 years? Not 11 days, not 11 months, 11 years. What would actually keep him hoping and praying that maybe God had an unbelievable plan to actually take him out of that prison, elevate him to the second highest position in the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that time in history? What would keep Joseph just believing? The Bible tells us it's because he acknowledged, he knew that God was with him. Sometimes it didn't look that way. But God was with him. What kept the apostles sticking to their story? Every one of the original followers of Jesus all ended up being martyred for their faith. Some of them were crucified upside down. Some of them were boiled in oil. They met unbelievable, difficult deaths. And all they would have had to do to make it stop was say, okay, 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 He's dead. That's all they would have had to say. What gave them the strength to not recant that beautiful and true story of the resurrection? There's only one possible reason. They were absolutely convinced that what Jesus said was true. I am with you always. Even if they take your life, I am with you. i'll wrap up with this 700 years before jesus even showed up 700 years before a prophet by the name of isaiah had the spirit of god tap him on the shoulder and whisper words into his ear and he wrote them down as a part of his book i mean i read that and i just go apparently god wants us to get this through our heads And my question again will be, if you are absolutely convinced that God is with you, how will that live itself out on your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday? Isaiah says these words from Isaiah 41. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I've chosen you, not rejected you. So, do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, because I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, for I am the Lord your God, who will take you by your right hand and say to you, Do not fear, I will help you. So, in case you didn't get it this morning, Let me say it again. He's with you. He's with you. I don't care what you face this week. He is with you. Not over there, here. With you in the worst, with you in the best. He is with you and he promised he would never leave. Never, ever, ever will he leave you. So if you don't get anything else out of this morning, walk out of church this morning, what'd you learn? He's with me. What did you say? He's with me. Right now, right here. The God of the universe is with me. Would you pray with me as we close? God, sometimes the most simple pieces of Scripture we make so complex and so difficult. So God, I pray for each and every person who's here today who just needed a reminder, whether they're a veteran, whether they're a baby in the faith. Lord, I pray that whatever step of faith they're taking, I pray that it would be fortified and strengthened with the simple knowledge today from Scripture, from the message from the beginning to the end, from the first to the last that they would know whatever step they take this week, that God is with them. Lord, thank you for being in the details. Thank you for making everything new. Thank you for being in the pain, the hopelessness, and the hope as well. Lord, thank you for being true to your word. May we be more aware every single moment of every single day that you are with us. And we will give you the praise as the people of God who are just more convinced of your presence right here, right now. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God who now know that he is with us, agreed together with all of their hearts. And they said, Amen.